Welcome to Supex Radio, a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early stage entrepreneurship, uh, angel and VC investing, and small businesses in general. You can find us in the iTunes store and on SoundCloud by searching for Supex Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. Also to remember to follow us on Twitter at the Supex, that's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. I'm your host, Bob Fitz, and our guest today is Ori Yodowitz, founder and CEO of Deck Smarter. Ori, welcome to Supex Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Bob. Uh, delighted to have you. Um, so you and I have talked about this at a couple events, and I think today's show is going to be really fun because I have some opinions on the subject, and you've come up with a really cool idea. But before we get into Deck Smarter, Kind of give us the audience some background on you know you and how you got to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I started out uh, in the real estate market uh, and did quite well there until about 2009, when uh, you know many just like me suffered through the the crash of 2008, 2009. Found myself in a position where I was working with a friend, helping his law firm to get going, and uh, just started working on business development projects to get him going. That firm now today is the fourth largest foreclosure firm in the state, uh, doing about 40,000 foreclosure cases a year, um, doing, doing really well. Um, and so I had an opportunity to help him develop some other businesses that were ancillary to that main law firm, uh, support services such as uh, lien searches and, um, and uh, notary services. So we started a notary business together, uh, which did quite well and is still around to this day. But in uh, 2013, I got the startup bug, uh, as so many before me have, and uh, really was just excited to, to try something new. And so a friend of mine had a startup, needed somebody to come in, manage the sales process. Um, and so I did that for, uh, for two and a half years, got my feet wet, and loved the startup world. Um, there are so many unique challenges, which I'm sure we'll discuss uh, in the course of our conversation here, but uh, really was excited to tackle the beast and be able to get understanding of not only the sales process, but business development and partnerships. And that's where uh, I started to develop the idea that eventually became DexMarter. And that is the perfect transition. You're a very good guest already, I can tell. That's a <laughs> Thank perfect, you. That's a perfect transition into, and just what is DexMarter? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So, uh, so as I was working for this startup here in, in Boca Raton, um, we saw that there were a lot of challenges, a lot of hats that the CEO has to wear. At the same time that you're trying to grow the business and tr really trying to get an understanding of what you're, you're, uh, um, you're, what, what you're trying to sell to the public and what your identity is as a company, building culture, trying to get sales, trying to raise money, doing all of those different things at the same time, I noticed that it's just impossible for even, even the most talented individual to, to do it alone. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff that you can outsource out there. You can get a great CRM through different sources like Salesforce, et cetera. Uh, you can go ahead and, and outsource your accounting, all of that sort of thing. And I realized that there's really no, um, there's really no developed uh, idea of helping companies to go out and, and understand how they should go out and approach raising funds. Um, this, is, this is not something that most people are internally equipped with. Even, again, the most talented individuals, even people from a private equity or VC background, um, when, you're, when you're inside working on your, um, on your baby, your passion, your company, your, your startup, it may be difficult to really see what the rest of the world sees uh, you, you know, from a different vantage point of, of being inside the belly of the beast, as it were. So that's, that's where the idea of DexSmarter really started to, uh, to come together. And, uh, and what, I, what I really wanted to bring to the table was something that helped people understand what is the vision that you want to impart to the investor community because that's very different than what you're going to to say to a potential consumer to a potential sales target it's a different kind of conversation and so really kind of shaping the idea um, putting together and we look at it from a very um, from a from an advertising type agency type approach we want to sit down get a good understanding of what your company does and be able to uh, impart that to the investment community so while you could and probably do people uh, help people put together you know marketing materials or decks for not just investors your real specialty is putting together quality pitch decks for an investor pitch that's exactly right so the, the way we view it is that there's a, a lot of information that one could impart 
to to an investor. And, and as you know, when somebody's passionate they about about something in a good way, they could talk your ear off for three, four, five hours because they're so passionate about that particular uh, project. And, and so what we want to help CEOs, founders do is we want to get them to distill that passion into something that's a really presentable, concise, clear package to the investment community. So uh, I'm sure you've seen your share of, uh, of decks over the years. I, I see them all the time. And uh, you know nothing, nothing really gets me going more than seeing somebody who sends me a nice 50-page deck packed with information, a lot of technical nitty-gritty jargon that, that just doesn't translate to the rest of the world. And so there's a real need to be able to distill that down into something that, that's much more digestible uh, to somebody who may not understand that technical nitty-gritty. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of products out there that are science-based, that are technical-based. Well, there's an investment community out there that may not understand what Ruby on Rails is, but they still have money, and they still may be interested in investing in, in a great idea, a great company, um, a, a great portfolio. So, um, you know, our, our, our job is really to help a CEO shape that vision, really understand the identity, and then distill it into something that is digestible for an investor. Well, as you and I have talked about in some, uh, in some events, and as I said earlier at the intro to this, I, ha I have uh, this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart is I get contacted by hundreds of startups a year and they send me their decks wanting comments. And I see a lot of really bad decks uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and, and before I give my two cents about what some of those are, I'm, I'm curious. I realize that decks kind of vary sometimes depending on the vertical or the IP, but in general... What are some general essential elements of a good pitch deck? It's a fantastic question. So the, the way that I view it, and, and, we, and we take this consultative approach to make sure that we really understand that, is you, you know that you got to have something that's a concise, narrative-driven approach. So it, it is storytelling in its most basic form. So the, the common elements that you have to have in any good deck is you got to immediately, you've got to be able to state who you are and grab the attention of the reader, the viewer, uh, you know, the, the audience in front of you. And, and you've got maybe six or seven seconds to do that. Uh, it's immediate. So you want to you want to give your name. You want to you want to say what the name of the company is. Maybe a tagline um, that really distills it down. Similar to an elevator pitch, you want to you've really got a few seconds to grab that attention. And then once you've got the audience's attention, you want to you want to really kind of embellish and understand what's the problem? Is there a problem that's being solved? Once we understand what the problem is, we can talk about how we go about doing that. So you want to lay out the foundation. What's the landscape? Is there a problem that's being solved? If there's a problem that's being solved, how do we go about and do that? And then once we've discussed that, now we know there's a problem. Our particular solution is the right fit. We want to also be able to say why this is a good opportunity. It's not, it's not enough to just solve problems. You could solve problems and not make a whole lot of money, quite frankly, doing that. So if your solution really works, how is it that you're going to make money? So in order to do that, we've got to lay out what is the market, who's the target, what, and, and kind of really lay the whole landscape of the opportunity that's available to the investor. Yeah. Um, I'm making some notes. Uh, I, I, I agree with one of the first things you said about six or seven seconds. Um, I tell startups all the time that at the most, you might have 60 seconds to grab the attention and keep the attention of an investor audience. Um, first of all, you'll be lucky to get an audience. Uh, keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's an analyst at some, you know, angel fund, angel group, uh, seed series fund, whose job is to throw decks in the trash to find the good ones. So they're kind of, and I've heard it. They're kind of looking for reasons to get rid of a deck until they, till the, you know, the last remaining one stands. So that's something to keep in mind. So can't be typos, can't be crappy graphics, etc. But then when you get the opportunity to get in front of them, you know, you think you have the best thing since sliced bread, but they've probably seen three business ideas like yours, like that, in the past two or three months. How do you grab their attention? And if you lose them in the first sixty seconds, you fumble your words. Uh, you don't manage a bad AV situation with some, you know, flair. 
if you don't do something exceptional, man, that, that phone's coming out of that pocket and they're tweeting away or, or they're texting a friend or something. They're doing something other than listening to you. And once you've, uh, once you've lost them, it's dang near impossible to get them back. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would say that, you know, the, the odds are certainly stacked against you if that first, that first impre- impression does not go the way you want it to. It, it could be that your idea is great and, and just you know, you're, you're unable to deliver it as well as you would have liked in that first uh, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever it may be. Um, but you, you can grab them back, but those odds are certainly stacked against you to do so. So what I would say is, is vital is really just laying it out right there. And that begins with identity. That, that's the word that I think comes to mind. When you can really understand what your identity is and your purpose, your why, as it were, um, you, you have a much better chance of being able to get directly into what you really want to impart, which is all of the detail about why this is a tremendous opportunity. But you got to start with why, as Simon Sinek teaches all of us. So that, that to me is, is the big key. If you understand what you're doing, and I got a great example of a company, we're going through this process right now, a client of mine, they make some really high level introductions. And they're, they're a deal making company. They put people together, they, they, they have a, just an unbelievable network of people that are available to them to help with sales, to help with marketing, to help with everything that a startup may need. Uh, and really high level contacts, people at the C level, they're opening doors to a lot of people, but they didn't quite understand how to impart that. So what we did is we created a tagline that really just separates them and it tells you exactly what they do, which they weren't even quite sure how to, how to say it. Once we sat down and we did a little brainstorming session, we got the idea down on paper and I said, Here's the tagline, this is what you guys do. And once they could articulate what they do, it makes it so much easier for them to go in to the rest of the narrative that they want to impart. Look, the quote's been attributed to a lot of people, Einstein and maybe some others, or Edison, but essentially, if you can't explain your business to someone simply, you don't understand your business well enough yourself. And it's so true. You know, someone else I once mm-hmm. heard said, look, you need to practice this on your first grader. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, um, and uh, so you said that the problem statement, uh, then the solution then the, what the, the market opportunity, which I'm assuming, assuming is the scale of the market and the, you know, the addressable market. And then you implied that the next step was the go-to-market strategy, which uh, we can come back to. I think it's the most overlooked piece of most decks. I'm assuming that the next thing that you would talk about in that kind of linear progression is you know, the competition and what features or advantages you have over them uh, is that sort of the next, there's probably, I see four or five more things that you typically see that then the discussion of the team, the discussion of what the ask is, and then the sources and uses. Is that, is that usually the pattern to uh, how you construct these? Yeah, I think you can, you can rearrange, uh, the order to some degree, meaning I think you always want to lead with your strength. So if, if you have, um, you know, your team in place. If you're, if you're a solo shop, you're just the CEO, you're a 23-year-old kid who just got their MBA, it's great, you're excited about your, your, your program, but you may want to talk about your IP first. You may want to talk about whatever the strongest part element of your story is first. Contrast that with the company that maybe has, uh, you know, a, a C-suite of people with varied experiences and, and successes and exits. That may be your lead. So you may want to start with that um, you know, here's the team that's in place that's already had successful exits in this arena, and now we're just going ahead and doing it again. I have a friend who's in the in the healthcare space, and essentially what they do is they uh, start a company with uh, with the same management team. It's 11 people in the group. They start their company and uh, and they build it up. They they know the model. They do the same thing. They end they they end up selling the company three to four years down the road with a one year non compete. At the end of that year, they go right back in and start it right back over and do the whole thing right again. And sometimes when they raise funds, that's the story that they tell. It's the same management team. It's the same 11 players that, that have done this successfully over and over and over again. And so, so that's where you want to go is you want to lead with your strength. Um, from there, yeah, once you've, once you've created and established that our market is uh, you know, a billion-dollar market, a trillion-dollar market, then you want to go ahead and, and really give the full, I think, intellectually honest lay of the land. The market is that big. Here are the existing players that are here. Here are the competitors and why we differentiate ourselves. Um, but I think in that particular category, you want to be as intellectually honest as possible. You want to let people know 
that yes, there is competition out there. You don't want to lead somebody down a path that uh, you know doesn't exist, and uh, and you want to say, hey, listen, not only is this market so huge that we can all be a part of it, here's what differentiates us from these other guys, and we'd like to get you know 10% of the market, 3% of the market, whatever whatever makes sense for that particular business. You know, in talking about the team. I was at an event in uh, Palm Beach yesterday. It was an accredited investor-only event with about six or eight pitches. And uh, there was a keynote speech from Tom Wallace of Florida Funders. And he said specifically that he bets as much on the jockey as he does the horse. And this is something that you hear repeatedly. Uh, other people say, look, they'll take a B, team, a, a B idea with an a, a team over an A idea with a B team any day. And uh, so... I think startups sometimes fail to realize that, you know, thoroughly describing who's your team uh, and their experience and their level of involvement and their day-to-day roles is critical. Uh, It doesn't mean that you need to have Guy Kawasaki on your advisory board, uh, you know, but it does mean that whoever's on the team, their resumes really matter uh, because so many startups' ideas are similar to other ideas. The difference is the talent that is going to persevere and make something happen. 100%. Um, I actually just saw this uh, just the other day. I- interestingly enough, that uh, the if if it's just one founder starting a business, um, your odds are significantly reduced rather than having two or more founders in the likelihood that you'll find success. So having two or more founders, you're you're much more likely, you're 30% more likely to actually raise m- money. Um, you're, you have, you'll have uh, anywhere between three and four times the, u- the user growth and are 19% less likely to scale prematurely. So having that team and, and having that track record, that really is a vital part of the story. Um, and I think, uh, you know, to your point, um, having that A team in place is, is certainly a part of it. The investors that I talk to, you know, they, they really boil it down to, to three different things that they look for uh, or the three major categories that they look for. In, in a startup, and one certainly is the idea itself, and then the opportunity, which uh, can mean two parts, meaning the market that they're gonna be entering, do they like the product within that market, and is the opportunity, meaning the, uh, the, the uh, investment return, is that strong enough for them to invest, and certainly most important is the personnel. Who's going to be doing this? What's their track record? Why do I believe in them? Why should I believe in them? What have they done in the past that, that leads me to believe that they'll be successful in the future. Uh, you know, there's nothing, as a sports fan, there's nothing that gets me more riled up than when somebody throws out a statistic like, you know, and they, and they include it as a statistic, something like, uh, you know, the, the Patriots have never won on a Sunday after playing on a Monday when the presidential election was the previous Tuesday. That, to me, is not a statistic. There's nothing predictive about that and it's counting teams from 30, 40 years ago that have nothing to do with the current players on the field. So, you know, telling that story is really important and and being able to use that story in a predictive manner. We've exited seven different businesses all within this particular space leads me to believe that they're going to be successful on the eighth one as well. So, in general, it sounds like we've defined that a typical deck would include a problem statement, the, sol- the solution that the startup company is offering, a description of the market opportunity, its scale, etc., the go-to-market strategy of this new startup, uh, an assessment of their competitors and how their features and, and, uh, and the advantages of the startup's offering, a discussion of the team, uh, the ask, what, how much are they trying to raise, uh, and perhaps a minimal description of its terms, and then the sources and uses. How will that money? How I mean, uses. How will that money be used? So we. So if and you've said those building blocks in some cases can be moved around, and in general, you want to lead with strength. And we've said that's because you want to capture attention because you don't have long to keep it. If that's kind of what the blocks are. Um, what are some major mistakes that you see that when startups try to pull these together on their own and, and where do decks typically fall short? Yeah. So I would say that there are a few different areas. The, the ones that I see in terms of companies falling short, the biggest one to me would be the use of jargon. Companies, I, I, I met with a company just last week. They're in, in a technical space, very scientific 
um, it's really hard to translate from the language that they're used to using in their day-to-day uh, operations with other scientists, with other people who are in the scientific community, to investors that are not spending day-to-day uh, you know, doing experiments and, and involving themselves in that same way. So, so it's the jargon and it's the language, I would say. Companies want to get into a very technical description within the deck, and more often than not, unless it's absolutely critical, I try to, try to avoid that as much as possible. Um, so I would say that that's, that's a major area of being able just to communicate uh, effectively what you're trying to say in as concise a manner. So, um, you know, as we discussed, a 50-page deck to me is not appropriate uh, at the beginning. If you're a company that's now, let's say, a little bit more seasoned further on down the road, you're a Spotify and now you've, uh, you know, you're going for your Series C, then it's, it's necessary to get more into the uh, financial terminology to understand what those use of proceeds are going to go for. You've already established that track record, and a deck of that nature is, is, is very different than, than what we try to do here for startups who are, who are early along. So I believe you can tell that story in 14 to 16 slides in a PowerPoint presentation or any of the other services that are available to put a good presentation together. Or sorry to interrupt you, but I want to hit yeah. on that point. I couldn't agree more. Um, I often tell people that you don't need more than 15 slides ever, and you consider the first one is your cover page, which is essentially your logo, etc. The last slide is your contact information, and that only leaves you 12 or 13 slides to talk about something. But that's all the time you're going to get. For the most part, you'll never get more than 15 minutes to do this, and you're lucky if you get 10, and just you're hitting high points there's going to be q a along the way you don't want to put them to sleep so i I completely agree with your 14 to 16 parameter yeah one of the best exercises we went through when i was working uh in in sales for a startup is uh we were selected to join a a pitch competition specific to that industry up in uh, Tampa just a couple of years ago. And so as part of that process, which I thought was a great exercise for the company, was we were given seven minutes to present our particular, and that's you know not new, unique to, uh, to many pitch competitions. It's the best thing that you can go through because you, should need, you shouldn't need more than seven minutes, five to seven minutes, to be able to tell your story. I look at it that, that you have different levels of your storytelling. So you may end up with that elevator pitch idea where you've got 15 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe a minute. You've got to have that down. That's got to be something as the CEO and anybody who's going to come in contact with, with people who may fall into your universe, whether that's uh, good business development partners, investors, whatever it may be. If you get stuck in that elevator, uh, or in some confined space, you've got to be able to tell that version of the story in 30 seconds. Then you've got to have a five-minute version. Then you've got to have a 15-minute version. And I don't think there's anything that's necessary beyond that, because as you said, and you're right, having Q&A and having the ability for the investor to ask the questions that are pertinent to them, they'll, they'll go ahead and do that. There's always time for that. So it's really about concise storytelling. How do you, how do you redact the things that you want to say or put it into a way where you can combine the nature of some of those slides. One point I do want to hit on as well is, you know, so many people use that last slide as uh, just to contact us. Uh, so, you, so you're right. Your point, uh, your point being that in that first slide, you're, you're using a whole slide. And I don't want to say wasting. I want to say you're using the valuable resource of that first slide as, uh, as your, your logo, uh, your tagline, you know, the initial introduction. Um, and then you're using that last slide as, um, as your contact us page. I think it's so much more valuable, and the way that I view the, the relationship is you don't send somebody, at least you, you could tell me if this has been your experience. I haven't seen this to date. I don't think anybody ever sends a deck to someone. They look at that last contact us page, and they say, yeah, great, I want to invest, and that's it. There's a lot of communication and a lot of stuff that happens between the beginning of that presentation to getting a commitment for investment uh, from the investment community. So what I would say that last slide is really important is you want to let them know not just what your ask is, but what's the next step? What are, what's the call to action? Is, is it just contact us at your will? Is that what's going to happen next? How do you want to leave uh, that meeting? Because it's rare to have somebody say, I'm, I'm ready to commit it to invest just upon seeing the deck. There is a due diligence process. There is a lot of back and forth and questions, rightfully so. So you want to you kind of have an idea in your head of what that process is 
beyond that last slide. So some of the, the things we've said about the, the, the way they fall short is, you know, using too much technical jargon or having a presentation that's way too long. Are there other things that you habitually see that you uh, correct? Yeah, I, one of the big ones is, as I think, I, you know, I think is, uh, is really important is what's your process for delivering this information? Uh, I, and you, you mentioned you see you know, hundreds of decks. If you just send the deck to a potential investor or a broker or somebody who says, I can connect you to someone, without giving them the full scope of what you're trying to convey, then you leave everything you're doing up to chance. The, the, there's a companion piece that goes along with that deck. If I was just sending information, an executive summary, by the way, this is, I think, a good, good time to bring this in, too. The executive summary may be just as valuable, if not more so, than, than the deck itself. Because the executive summary gives you, in a, in a one or two page format, distills that, that, uh, everything that you want to say in a much more concise version uh, to the investor. So in an executive summary, you have the real opportunity to open the door to go ahead and make a presentation. And I think it's lost on a lot of people that they just want to get that deck out there. This is, I've worked so hard, I've been so passionate about this, and I want to make sure that this deck goes out to whoever, and I'm just sending it to you. It doesn't take into account all of the other uh, spaces in between the musical notes to be able to impart that this is what you're trying to say in this slide, or this is an additional color that I can provide to the black and white data that's available on, on that particular slide. Well, I think you're make, raising a good point, and that is there's really a suite of tools that a startup must have in order to manage this uh, communication process with potential uh, investors correctly. Uh, one is uh, you need an elevator pitch. And that, to me, it's not even elevator, it's Ella. <laughs> I mean, it's like you don't <laughs> yeah. have, you don't yeah. have whatever, however many letters there are in elevator. You need, to be, <laughs> you need to essentially be able to tell somebody in about 12 words what your company does. Uh, you know, if you're Zach the Baker here in Miami, maybe we make the best bread in all of South Florida. Okay, yeah. that's your, okay, now I'm in. It's essentially a tagline. Then there's an elevator pitch. Then there's the executive summary, which is, I call it a teaser because that's exactly what it is. And uh, it's not necessarily trying to fit 20,000 words on two pages, in, you know, in four-point font, by the way, which I'm afraid many people think it is. And then, there, and then there's the deck. Would you agree that those kind of the four tools, or do you have other tools in the initial stages? Granted, once you get to due diligence, a whole other world start opens up. We're just trying to get you to that door, Right. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you, there's, there's levels to the kind of conversations that you're going to have with everybody. But at the end of the day, you, you, you have to open the conversation. So opening the conversation can happen, happen in a lot of different ways. And I just don't think that the deck is the right way, typically, to, to do that. <clears throat> the elevator pitch is certainly something in two ways. You should be able to have a 30-second verbal infomercial uh, about your company. You should be able to say what you do in a really meaningful way, uh, very, very quickly. So that, that's one. And then there's the elevator pitch of being able to distill that into 12 words, whether it's verbal or not, into a tagline. And those both start with identity. Uh, when I was in the real estate industry, one of my mentors had a really strong approach about, howing, uh, about how to go about getting that 30-second verbal presentation to be great. So instead of starting out, and this is we did a lot of training on this, instead of starting out and saying, you know, oh, I, I sell mortgages or I sell real estate. Well, everybody knows what that is, but how is that story compelling to anyone when there's, you know, 200,000 real estate agents in the state of Florida? How do you separate yourself from any of those people? Is that all? I thought there were that many in my neighborhood. <laughs> that could, that could be. That, 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 that might just be in Boca Raton. Yeah. I, could be wrong that. Uh, I so, thought it was a residency so, requirement when I moved here. <laughs> yeah, it, it is in some, in some neighborhoods, in some HOAs. Yeah. So, so the idea would be to tell a story first and to, and to show how you do that. So instead of, instead of just starting out and blurting what you say, somebody asks you what you do at a, at a cocktail party or something, you, you say, well, the best way to tell you is, is, to, is to give you a story. Let me tell you a story. So I have a client who has um, you know, been looking to raise some funds for their business, and they weren't sure how to do that. And so what I did is I came in and I sat with them for a, a, an hour, and we worked on their identity. We really got to understand their identity. And, and now we were able to build a really powerful narrative. And so that's what I do, 
is I work with clients to help them build the narrative that helps get them funded. I work with startups who need funding. You know, and so, something along those lines to be able to have a have something that pulls people in in a much more meaningful way rather than, oh, you know, we, we work with investors to get money for startups. That's not compelling. But if I tell a story that resonates with them and, 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 and they understand it from the client perspective, I think that goes a lot longer. Before we, I, I want to switch gears in a second, but before we uh, get off the, the topic of, you know, essentially the elements of a good deck, can we talk just a second about financials? Uh, what's your, and I, I'll share my opinions in a second, but uh, what are your opinions about the, the section that discusses the projections? Yeah, so I typically like to include, uh, uh, you know, again, after going through the deck, I, I prefer to keep the financials separate and have something that's available to be sent to an investor, which again, I think you want the opportunity to go through those. So when we're putting financials together, we typically want, uh, we'll, we'll put three tabs into a spreadsheet. And, and within that, we want to be able to, to share, you know, certainly use of proceeds. Um, you know, if we hit our benchmark, we're raising a million dollars, here's where that money is going to go. We want to be able to uh, put some historicals in there as well, if that's uh, relevant to the company. Um, and then we want to we want to put projections out, typically uh, through however long you think that funding round is going to be. So if you're raising a million dollars and that's going to cover operating expenses for the next two years, then you're going to want 24 months uh, of projections. And that's typically the way that that I would do it. I don't want to send too much information. There's a very delicate balance between what you're actually putting out there and what is actually you know needed. From the investor to make an informed decision. How much of that uh, goes into the projections page of the deck itself? Uh, because at some, typically at some point, you're, the, the the investor wants to see what all these words mean in terms of numbers and potential returns, and then you know further due diligence requires you know submission of kind of a quality spreadsheet like you're saying. How much how much do you put in the deck itself? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think it's a, it's the same kind of approach that we take with the deck itself. So like we just mentioned, we want to have an elevator pitch, you want to have a teaser, you want to have a 30-second verbal infomercial. So you can do the same thing with the financials. You can get as detailed as you want in your in your big unwieldy spreadsheet, but within the deck you want to be able to devote a page and distill as much of that information without getting it down into that four-point uh, you know, font, you want to be able to get as much in there that's a teaser on the financial in the same way that you do it with the information about the company. So you, you do have to present that information. I think you want to, and, and being concise is really, that's, that's our key. When we look at something, how can we make this more concise? How can we make the language more concise? How can you give the financial snapshot in as, you know, in as limited uh, space as possible where it really still tells a good financial story? I agree. And then one comment I'd make, and I'd be curious to get your opinion about it, and that is the proverbial hockey stick. Um, I think projections have to be interesting enough that they move the needle. Uh, in other words, it's don't be so conservative. And by the way, hardly anybody does this. But, <laughs> yeah. But don't be so conservative that it's kind of uh, oatmeal. It's pretty bland stuff. Uh, on the other hand, 99% of the people make what I think is an equally as bad mistake, and that is the, the hockey stick. Look, most investors have actually built a company, and most startups haven't. You know, showing 10 times growth four years in a row is just laughable. I mean, pe people don't build companies that go from year zero, year one, to year four and get you know, $150 million in sales. I mean, it happens, but it is so incredibly rare um, that I, I, most investors know just to kind of divide by about, you know, two to four and still see if it makes sense. But what are your comments on that? I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of the known joke. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, you know, when you mention the word startup, everybody wants to, to create their statement, which is another good tool to have. We are the blank of blank. So, you know, we are the uh, Facebook of, uh, you know, South Florida. Uh, we are the Uber of fill in the blank. So everybody wants to be there, but we know and everybody knows. They, don't, they may not admit it and they may not think it completely, but the, the, the reason they're a unicorn is because they're rare. 
Not everybody gets to be Facebook. Not everybody's going to be Uber. That doesn't mean that the company isn't a great idea or can't be successful, but, but the unicorns out there are rare. So when you're putting those projections together, it's important to really distill it down and make sure you have a good understanding of what that opportunity is. So you don't want to sell somebody down the road where you say, yeah, you know, 10, 10 times growth four years in a row. That's not realistic for this particular business. Look, I it just, is, sorry, yeah. Ori, sorry to interrupt. It's one of my favorite things to do. I think you've discovered. Um, it's just hard to look, keep a straight face to have a 24-year-old sharing you a pitch deck. And it's probably his second work experience. And he's describing how in year two, he'll have $45 million a share. You're sales in a year and year four it's 150 million and they're going to get five percent market share i mean like if you'd ever get a percent of any market it would be a pretty you typically large um it's i i think people really hurt their credibility in this area particularly if they've the other thing that i think they do and you were talking about when decks fall short i, I think most decks fall incredibly short on a slide adequately explaining their go-to-market strategy uh, the the ramp up period it takes to build a distribution chain, whether it's your own internally constructed one using value added resellers, et cetera, and how long it takes for the seeding of those relationships to actually turn into sales. I mean, um, and that's not, you know, that, that that is a, it's more of a parabola. It takes a long, that front side is slow. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I think th this speaks to the delicate balance and, and, there's a narrative to be told in, on a lot of different fronts, right? So it's there's a narrative that you're telling about who you are as the CEO of the company and who your who your team is. There's a narrative to be told about the opportunity, but there's a financial narrative that that has to be told as well. And this might be the most delicate component of what you're telling. I think there are a lot of business owners and a lot of startup founders that that just don't understand that there's an unintentional unintentional consequence to. Um, to being too optimistic or or being unrealistic about what uh, what the opportunity may be, so you you've really got to find that sweet spot of being able to say, hey, yeah, there is going to be significant enough growth that this is a worthwhile investment, but at the same time we're we're sticking to reality. We're trying to be as as conservative as we possibly can, and using other financial models to do the same. If you're basing what you think you're going to do financially off of what Facebook did or YouTube or Google or you know, some unicorn, it's probably not the right play. Um, but there are other success stories that you can tell and find and see that are out there where you can say, hey, here's a company that, uh, you know, year one, not, not a whole lot to, to write home about. Year two, still not a lot of, to, to write home about. But in year three, they started to, to get some nice gains. And in year four, they doubled their growth. And in year five, they sold, you know, for $100 million. There are those success stories that are out there. They may be a little bit harder to find, but, um, but they tell a story that is truthful to the narrative from a financial perspective that you want to tell. So we've talked about the elements of a pitch deck, and we've talked, of, you know, essentially the construction. Um, can we talk a little bit about the formatting and the beautification piece? Um, and it's probably lesser important than... Uh, well, maybe it's not. I'm curious to get your opinion. You know, uh, talk a little bit about the the graphical display of uh, uh, of the communication piece. Yeah. So what what we really love to be able to do, and this is really what gets us pumped, excited, juiced for for what we're doing, is we we look at it like we're building uh, in, in various different parts. And so the analogy that I use is that we want to put the bones, the skeleton, together first. So we want to make sure that we're really hearing this. So our team internally, what we do is is we want to make sure that we've gotten all of the collateral. We get, you know, if you've already got a deck, if you've already got an executive summary, whatever you've put together in, in terms of trying to raise money. If you haven't tried to raise money, but you have a sales deck, all of that material, we want to take a look at it. We want to dig deep. We want to get in there and really kind of understand it. Then we want to spend about an hour with the key personnel, whether it's over the phone or in person, to, to understand what their thought process is, to ask questions, to probe, to get to as deep a level as we can to understand what that why is. Why are you doing this? What's the purpose of the company? What's your identity? To really understand that. And then once we do that, we go back to the drawing board as a team and we say, okay, 
let's throw every idea up against the wall. Let's start thinking about this critically. What do we see as what the real narrative is here? So we put together the bones of what we're going to do. We put together an outline of what those slides should look like. What are we trying to say in the executive summary? What's a great tagline that they don't currently use that we could put in there? That's the, that's the skeleton, as it were, of just what are we trying to say without putting all of the copy in there. Then we have to have obviously the organs, right? We gotta have all the internal organs, we gotta have everything from a, from a functionality perspective making sense. So we go ahead and we start thinking about what are the themes, do they have a logo? If they have a logo, we put it in there, we wanna make sure that the color is consistent and that we're telling from a graphic perspective, uh, graphically this, this makes sense all the way throughout. So that's, that's stage two, we wanna make sure that that is consistent and that, that, that fits. Formatting is a big deal. We may not say it or, or you know, visually, but the same way that a, a typo on the page may uh, trigger something for us to say, hey, well, their, their attention to detail is, is very low because they can't even take these typos out um, uh, you know, in, in, in their presentation. Uh, in fact, I was at a, a dinner last night, and uh, one of the honorees received a plaque with their name misspelled which, uh, you know, what does that say? You wanna make sure that you're saying and you're making sure, so that attention to detail takes place not just on the, uh, on the verbiage, on the words, making sure there are no typos, but the same way in terms of your graphic presentation, that it's consistent, everything's laid out the right way, nothing is misaligned, uh, the color scheme all the way through makes, uh, makes sense, the fonts that you've chosen to use are not, uh, are not inconsistent with what you're trying to say. Um, everybody remembers Dan Gilbert's famous letter, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, when LeBron left uh, you know, many years back. He sent a letter in Comic Sans font, which nobody uses anymore, and he was you know, lambasted for, for using that, uh, that particular font. So we want to make sure that all of that is in there. And then finally, it's the skin. We want to put the skin on everything and, and present our final product. So we actually go ahead and pitch it. To, we, we do the pitching directly back to the startup to say, hey, here's the concept we came up with. Here's the verbiage, here's the design, here's why we, we go through the full pitch, and then here are the decisions that we made and why we did them that way. And then certainly we open it up to revisions and conversation and, and debate uh, to get them a final product that they're truly, truly in love with. Yeah, I think those are great points. A couple of things that I would add to it, I, I think it was Guy Kawasaki, maybe it wasn't, but I've heard that in general, uh, you know, well, first of all, I think you be very cognizant how your deck is going to be used. If you're just sharing your deck for somebody to read at the desk, that's fine. If you're putting together a deck to be used in a presentation in front of an audience, you need to think, okay, what's it like for the guy in the back row? So that's one thing is always remember the context, and, and that affects graphically how you present. Two, I think it was Kawasaki that basically said use 40-point font and no more than 40 words per page. The point being it's bullet-pointed. It's not paragraph upon paragraph, lots of words, it's direct, you're not going to read the dang thing, and you're not actually, you're just going to let them read it and talk about points. So it doesn't have to be many words per page. And then the last comment that I would say is, you know, it's you've heard all your life, a picture does tell a thousand words. Um, although don't go graph, don't go graph crazy, uh, because sometimes people get caught up in their graphs, and the graphs have to be explained, you can't read the legends, etc. But in general, Good pictures are, are worth a thousand words. What are your thoughts on those comments? Yeah, absolutely. It's the the, the key phrase I think that you used in there, or or what I heard was, you know, the, thinking about that user experience, the person in the audience as they're watching this presentation or as they're reading through a deck on their own. There are certainly picture picture tells a thousand words is uh, is vital and it's important. There's only so much we can read. There's only so much we can read and look at an image at the same time. Our brains aren't wired to do both uh, simultaneously. So when, when you're putting that in there, all of that goes into the storytelling process. If you can come up with an image that displays something which you would have said in 100 words or more, then certainly it's worthwhile to go with the graphic or the image. One of my clients provided me with, a, with, uh, with something they had already put together, which was fantastic, and we made part of the centerpiece of what they do. Their universe is so broad with the number of brands that they work with and, and, and success stories that they've had that they created their own graphic that tells that story in an unbelievable format that you couldn't, you, you wouldn't say it the same way, saying it with your own words or putting those words in, in a paragraph on the paper. So when you can, that's certainly the preferable. Um, 
you know, and I think you, you do want to think about it as much as you possibly can from that user experience. If I'm sitting in the audience, how would I react to being told this or seeing this image or, or having a paragraph that just drones, drones on and on and on and on? What would my reaction be to that? One last thought, and then we'll move to a different topic. What's your, what's your thought on embedded videos, explainer videos within a deck? I think they certainly do have a purpose. If you've got a great video, um, it can be a great attention grabber right at the beginning. Um, they, they certainly do serve a purpose. You want to make sure as well that depending on who your, who your clientele is uh, and who your investor base may be, that you make sure that things are not, um, that you don't put an investor in a place where you're relying on them to access technology that they may not be comfortable with. Um, there's a dividing line which, which resides somewhere uh, a few years older than you and I, uh, that's, that's probably the, the dividing line somewhere, for people to be able to access an app or, uh, or download something. There's a dividing line where people's comfort with technology uh, is, is different above and below that line. So if you are including a video that needs to be um, accessed in some way and maybe somebody doesn't have that, you just want to be cognizant of that when you put that in there. But I think in terms of being able to have content that's unique, engaging, that's a little bit different, uh, certainly it, it works to be able to include that uh, as part of your presentation. We've started using more recently as opposed to PowerPoint, we've used Prezi and some of the other programs that are out there just to make it more engaging, more interactive. If you can get the brains uh, synapses to start to start firing and everything's starting to move within that brain because they're seeing different images. As we know, that's a big pivot uh, in the world. People are moving to video. People are comfortable with video. So if you can tell that story uh, and even do a virtual uh, pitch deck through video um, where you can eliminate a lot of the other stuff which is told through words on the page, I think it's certainly an added bonus. Yeah. I think they're great tools. The, the word of caution I would really tell people to be extremely diligent about is if you're going to embed a video, no matter what they tell you, you need to bring two versions of your presentation there. I have sat through numerous pitches when the person goes to do the, vi the video, even though they've probably been told by the organizer, yes, you click a button and the video doesn't work or it, or it buffers or something. So you 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 really have to get there in time if you're doing a, a you know a presentation versus sharing a deck and make sure that the technology will really handle what you were told it would and if it's not you need to have a backup version without your video in it and that's just a word of caution the other thing and we're admittedly we're way down in the weeds now but I'm going to go ahead and see it because I, I see this a lot is uh, whenever you're going to go do a presentation. Uh, you need to have several versions of it, you know, in 16.9 format. You know, if, if they say it's have PowerPoint, your version might be different. It could be Mac versus, you know, a PC. Always bring a PDF version. You know, everybody can go through a PDF version. You knowing that your PowerPoint version is the same as somebody else's, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And if you don't, and it, it, you'll really botch, you know, what would otherwise have been a good presentation. So... Sorry, that's way in the weeds, but it's a pet peeve, and I've seen you know pitches go bad because of simple things like that. No, I'll, I'll jump on that because I think it's it's a valid point, and it's uh, it's worth spending a little more time on. You know, the technical difficulties. There is nothing worse than being in a room, being captive, where you feel like they the presenter doesn't know how to get through those technical difficulties, or you know, and it may not even be their fault. It could be uh, you know the the production crew. It could be who knows what it is. But uh, experiencing those different technical difficulties does um, merit the idea that you have what I would call, I guess, a, a high, um, you know, a high fidelity kind of presentation and then a, a low fidelity. You want to be able to, if all else fails or if you just have the PDF, that uh, you can still present a viable product in, a, in an engaging manner. So you want to, you, your, your point is well taken. You want to be able to uh, have every option available should all of the technical difficulties um, come to fruition. I've seen it happen. Um, a guy brought, uh, actually, at, uh, at a pitch competition in the Tampa area just a few years back, uh, we were given all of the instructions of how to present, and he decided to bring his own Mac, his own, uh, his own laptop up to use that. He had eight minutes. The first four minutes were trying to go from slide one to slide two, and basically has fumbled his way through the last four minutes trying to say everything that was in the presentation, which he wasn't able to go through. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an important point that you really do need to be prepared for a lot of different 
scenarios, and it's always a good idea to have that PDF backup just in case you're going to go through it that way. Look, it's a general, generally good rule to leave nothing to chance in business. Period. <laughs> so you know, yeah. have a good, have a good backup plan. Take care of your business. Um, so, how many iterations do you typically go through? You described what your your learning process is and how you you know what it takes to pitch back, et cetera. But how many iterations do you usually go around with a client before you know something's kind of done? And I realize certain clients are more difficult than others, or and certain decks are more difficult than others, but. Couple iter- yeah. couple of times back and forth. Yeah, we we know we've done a really good job when we when we go through the pitch ourselves with the client and they say, "Wow, you guys really hit the nail on the head." There's a there's a few tweaks that we need here and there. Um, you know, that's that's how we know, and that's really what we aim for is we want to be able to walk into that pitch room the same way that uh, BBDO might sit down with uh, with a client like Nike and say, "Here's the advertising campaign for." Uh, for the football season, here's what we came up with. We want to knock your socks off. We want to we want to just blow you out of the room and say that's exactly what we're trying to say right here. So that's our aim. That's our goal. And certainly, we we recognize that it's a process. In the same way it works in the advertising world, you're going to have some back and forth, and there may be some changes. But if we've really understood that identity, then we know that we're going to be pretty close to what we're looking for. So. You know, you help uh, startups with investor communication pieces. You'll, you know, you'll help them think through their elevator pitch. You'll help them do an executive summary. You really specialize in investor decks, although you can help them do marketing decks as well. What other services uh, are under your umbrella? Yeah. So while while our bread and butter is really to put together that complete package for the investment community, which would include just just for clarification purposes, a uh, a complete package would include a deck, an executive summary, uh, the financials, so, so that includes the use of proceeds and projections. That's sort of the, uh, the typical package that we put together. But there are companies that will need, that have most of that already together, and it is really solid, and they've done a good job for the most part of putting that together. We have a revision product where we'll go ahead and, and just kind of do some tweaks for, for companies. Um, we will put together business plans if that's what's necessary. Although we've we've seen a shift in that market where you know business plans typically were ten to twelve pages years ago. Now there's really more of a need for a much more concise kind of product. Uh, you know, marketing plans, business plans that are two to three, maybe four pages. You really should be able to to kind of put that out there. We will put together strategic plans as well in terms of. Um, you've got a product, you know how to sell it directly, let's say to the consumer, but there are a number of channels on the business development side where it may make sense to put a strategy around that aside from your direct sales channel. So we'll put something like that together as well. And then certainly if you're going to be participating in a, a pitch competition or if you're looking to put together a sales deck um, that you're going to use for your call center approach or for uh, online sales, we've put together a number of those and that's something that we do as well. Do you coach, too, around these? I mean, let's say you help a team put together a deck or you revise their deck or you give them the full suite of services. Do you then do – is it part of the package or an additional thing that they can arrange with you where you'll listen to their pitch and say, okay, no, 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 no. you got to do X, you know, X, Y, Z or, or you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So our basic package comes with the full suite of solutions. We're going to provide you with all of these documents. And then you're going to go out and, and raise the money on your own. We, we do have an advanced product, which uh, allows for the customer, for us to come in, sit with the, with the startup, with the founder, whoever may be presenting, and we can do some coaching with them. So we're going to be able to say, hey, listen, within your uh, presentation, we're going to give you notes that go along with each slide. And, and that's part of that package, that, that second tier package, let's say. So we're going to give you some notes that say, when you're talking about the financials, here are things that you actually that you that you want to hit home. You want to make sure you're making the following points as you go through the market opportunity. So we'll put those liner notes in there for them as well. And then we do offer, in addition to that, the coaching where we'll come in and we will be your audience. So we'll go ahead and and uh, you know over the course of an hour, two, three, five, however many is necessary to prepare that uh, speaker, whether it's the CEO, the CFO, whoever's going to represent the company, to make sure that they are in a position to tell that story and to present that identity in the best possible light. I can't remember who it was that told me this, but I was in an event the, not too long ago in the past couple of weeks, and someone was telling me that they had a, a coach, uh, a guy who uh, he would do 
uh, he would videotape for one hour. Uh, he videotape your presentation and give feedback on. And the guy who described it to me said that he originally thought it would it wouldn't work. And uh, the guy he did his pitch. And the first thing the guy said to him was, well, first of all, you got to get your hands out of your pocket. And he swore that he said, look, what does that have to do with anything? My hands weren't in my pocket. And all he did was rewind it. And it was just little things like things like that to, you know, your use of the word, you know, um, and it was, it was, he said it was incredibly insightful to, uh, have it taped and have someone really dissect, uh, use of hands, certain words, colors, everything. So it's an interesting, uh, additional, uh, coaching service that you might be able to provide. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a tremendous value in that. Not everybody, uh, is, is comfortable speaking in public. Not everybody, um, enjoys that or, or is able to interact in an engaging manner. And it doesn't mean you're going to turn everybody into the next, you know, Jimmy Fallon. That's okay. You don't have to be that. But you do have to be able to impart uh, your, your opportunity in a meaningful way and be able to engage as much as possible. So where, where we can help is certainly to, to listen to that and say, there are tweaks. Yeah, your body language is, is indicating this, but you're saying that. Um, we, uh, we use some uh, elements of neuro-linguistic programming to make sure that what you're saying engenders a positive response from the audience that you're speaking to. We can, we can certainly view the totality of the presentation and help to, to tweak it so that what you're saying lines up exactly with the words on the page. Yeah, and I agree with you. Not everybody has to be Jimmy Fallon. You're, you know, if you have, I think that's true of initial startup sales as well. I mean, if you have a passion and a knowledge of the product, you don't have to be a backslapper, you know, in order to, to get it across. On the other hand, I would say that if you really do have an incredibly difficult time uh, speaking in public and it, it's an issue, maybe there's another person on your team that could do the pitch and that and you can have a supporting role for technical questions, but a, a better communicator. Do you agree with that or I've, I realize that it's variable? Yeah, I think I think it's, a, it's an important point that you want to have the person that's most appropriate to tell the story being the one who's that storyteller. And I think what comes across with that as well is you don't have to have this gigantic personality uh, and be you know backslapper as you said to be somebody who who's just affable and out there and comfortable and engaging. It doesn't always have to be that person. But the word that I would use that I think that's most important about selecting the presenter for your company is authentic. You you want to be able to have an authentic voice, get up there, be able to tell the story in in their way, not in somebody else's way, through their eyes, through their experience why they feel like this company is a great opportunity for an investor. You want to be as authentic as possible and speak through your unique voice. That, to me, tells so much more. When somebody gets up there and they're, they're trying to, no, nobody wants to be sold by salesmen anymore. It's just a different world. So you know, being sold and having it be schlocky or having it be something that just is not authentic to who you are as a person, that really shines through in a presentation and it turns people off. So when, when you get up there and you can be authentically you and present your unique uh, opportunity in an authentic manner, I think that that speaks volumes and connects with an audience much better. Or you've made some awesome points. And as I told you when we were uh, at a recent event, I think there's such a huge need for what you're doing. As someone who I see hundreds of, bad, hundreds of decks a year and dozens and dozens of bad ones, if not more, the percentage is very high. And so I think a smart investment uh, with a, an, a group like yours in creating better decks is so worth the 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 the, the time and the money uh, to in, in, increase the likelihood of a better investment you know investor uh, engagements I, I really think you've got something great going on here how do how do people find you to uh, connect with you do, what's your website yeah it's a great question so so we are at decksmarter.com we're currently building that website the easiest way to get a hold of us is to contact me because I, I like to listen to every deck. I, I love looking at decks. As you said, you see all of them. I like looking at the good ones. I like looking at the bad ones. I am happy to go through and look at them. So our, our, our website right now, decksmarter.com, is, uh, is currently under construction, will be done very, very soon. Uh, the best way to reach me personally is at URI, URI, at decksmarter.com. Best way to reach me. 
You've been a super guest. I am so excited that you're getting started. I think you're going to be hugely successful. There is a gigantic need for what you're doing, especially from someone that's as sophisticated and has such good experience as you. And I thank you for being a guest, and I wish you all the best. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and having the opportunity to come on here. And in, in just in parting, what I would say is that uh, the same way that we look to an attorney, we're willing to pay you know, top dollar for an attorney to make sure that all of our documents are done legally and appropriately in the same way we pay an accountant to make sure our taxes are done appropriately. This is what we do. We are indexed all day long. We are talking to the investment community. We know what works with talking to an investor. And, and so we believe that it's a worthwhile investment to be able to go out and raise the funds you need to make sure that you're a success. So Bob, I want to thank you again for having me on. This has been a pleasure. Uh, and thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, today's your birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, it is. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I am no longer eligible for the South Florida Business Journal 40 under 40. So, <laughs> well, that's uh, all right. Life gets you better. I'm way past you. So well, Hopefully they'll, they'll create a 50 under 50 and I'll <laughs> apply for that in the next decade. I'll vote for you. <laughs> Thanks, Ari. <laughs>